Eschaton. Welcome back to the Eschaton podcast, your deep dive into the last days. My name is Sam Liedke, and we're here on At A Church Radio. And today we're going to be going into the second one of our concepts. Uh, just as a matter of administrative remarks here at the outset, I wanted to let you know we're going to be keeping these episodes a little bit shorter. They're going to be about 20 to 30 minutes long, just so they fit in a little bit better with your commute. I got a little bit of listener feedback already, and I <laughs> I personally really enjoy the long haul. I enjoy making things and listening to things that are two, three hours long, but I know that is not very convenient for most people. So what we're going to do is we're going to keep these episodes about 20 to 30 minutes. That way you can catch them on your commute or when you're fixing dinner or something like that. And then I'm actually going to be recording separately and uploading to both the Morphite channel, which is something I have uh, personally, as well as to the At A Church channel on YouTube. As soon as we get that up and running, we'll be putting what we call Eschaton Extended, which will be a little bit longer, a little more freewheeling. I'll, be, I'll just be discussing through a lot of the topics and a lot of the extra stuff. As I've been going into these studies, I'm realizing constantly that there you can go very, very deep on any number of topics within the topics we're talking about. And so I'm trying to just rein it in, trying to keep it on just the topic at hand and just talk through the passage itself and the things we have seen from it. So we're going to be putting those up called Eschaton Extended, Eschaton Extended. And we'll pu I'll put links to all that stuff back and forth between the two things as soon as everything goes up and live. This episode is number two of the regular Eschaton podcast, and we're just going to jump right into it here. Last week, we talked about the, well, I think we talked about everything up to the first concept. If I remember right, we talked about context. We talked about uh, who, what, when, where, why of this passage in Acts 1. We talked about the content within it uh, as far as the actual events that, that occur. We talked a little bit, uh, we, we also covered as well the restoration of the kingdom, which was our first concept. The concept we'll be talking about this week, and hopefully we'll be able to get all the way through it, is the ascension. The ascension itself, which is a very important thing. Obviously, it is the last thing Jesus did, the last thing that happened before he is going to return again. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Acts chapter 1, verse number 9 is where we'll start off. And of course, we'll be jumping around all over the place. So uh, I'll be reading the verses. But if you want to catch up and follow along, I am also working on typing up all of my notes. I handwrite all of my notes and I love handwriting everything. But the problem is it's not legible for the general public. So I would just upload photographs, <laughs> take pictures of it and put it up so you could read it. But I, I'm afraid you would not be able to read my my hieroglyphs. So I am going through and getting it all typed up as well. And I will be releasing that or, or appending that along with the episodes. I'll either put them up on somewhere hosted and put a link or I'll try to see if the notes will actually fit within the podcast feed. I'll see what happens there. This uh, this podcast, I'm going to continue doing in the audio only format, just for, again, for administrative purposes and management for everything. We've got the other podcast coming out from out of church radio on Wednesdays. You can always catch that 12 somewhere between 12, 1230. Usually when we go live, uh, that's uh, Eastern time, I believe. And that is here out of out of church. That is called The Point, where we've got some of the uh, some of the older gentlemen who are brothers in the faith who have been around a little bit longer than I have. They share their wisdom. They share their knowledge. And that comes out as well in the same podcast feed. So if you catch this, that'll be coming out on the same podcast feed. It's called The Point. And that's every Wednesday. This uh, These episodes will be coming out probably Tuesdays, and they'll be called Eschaton. And the episode numbers will be very clearly delineated there. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it before I just keep rambling on here. Ascension of Christ. Okay, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Let me go ahead and read that verse, and that's where we're starting off. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So that's a very very simple idea, a very simple verse. And But there's so much, just even in that one verse, all right? So that while they beheld. 
while they beheld, I looked in this phrase a little bit, and one of the things I noticed as I studied, uh, of course, I, I typically look up in the Greek to find out what the actual words are for these things, and I'll mention them where I feel they're relevant. It's not always relevant to go through and define and talk about every single Greek phrase, but this is one that I felt was a little important because it's it's the word blepo, and it means to look at, to behold, beware, perceive, regard, see, or take heed. And this is a... this. Goes, speaks to the fact that this was a literal ascension. He ascended in their literal sight, their actual sight. They saw him physically and literally ascending up from in front of them. This provides biblical evidence for eyewitnesses to this event. So you have a, a point there of reference that, yes, physically there were disciples there and they physically, literally saw him ascending up in front of them. Why is that so important? because there will be all kinds of people, all kinds of doctrines of devils that will come along to say that this was figurative. They will say this did not really happen. They will say it didn't happen in the way that they, that the scripture says it happened. There'll be all kinds of deviations from what actually was said here, but this is important that you need to know this is just one of the verses referring to this, but that it actually physically happened, okay? He actually, his body itself rose up into the air. And this is important too when we get to a little bit later when we talk about uh, the manner in which he ascended. All right, so the parallel is in Luke 24, 51, parallel that is of this exact same event. Luke 24, 51, let me hop over there. Luke 24, 51 says, and it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And then they worshiped him and could return to Jerusalem with great joy in verse 52. This happened while he blessed them and he was physically and bodily parted. That word parted means separated or removed from them. Acts chapter 27, verses 27 and 28 is the same phrase, if I'm not mistaken. Let me make sure. Yes. Acts 27, 27 and 28. It says, but when the 14th night was come, as they were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. That when they had gone phrase there, when they had gone a little further, is the same phrase there as... Uh, that parted. Uh, it's, it, it has to do with a physical movement, a physical motion happening. Again, there's no indication in scripture this was a mirage or a vision when Christ ascended. He bodily, physically ascended up into into heaven or the heavens. He was taken up. That word, that phrase in Acts 1-9 where it says he was taken up is the Greek word epairo, which means to lift up, to raise up, or exalted. It's, it's also used again in Acts chapter 27 verse number 40, Acts 27 verse 40 where it says, when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rubber, rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. So that word epairo is used there when it talks about lifting up or hoisted up, excuse me, hoisted up in Acts 27 40, where it says they hoisted up the mainsail. So again, there's this physical lifting happening. All right, let's go over to Mark chapter 16, verse 19. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. This is a key verse as well, parallel of this exact same event. Mark 16, 16 verse number 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. That right hand of God is one of the uh, one of the eschaton extended episodes that I'm going to be going into, the very first one I'll release here, and we'll, I'll be talking extensively about, as much as I can, about this idea of the right hand of God. We'll touch on it here in just a moment, but the actual discussion of it, I'll save for the Eschaton Extended uh, videos. All right, so Mark 16, 19 there, that word received up. When he had, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven is the Greek term analambano, which means to take up or raise. It's the same word used in Acts 1 and 2 and 2 Timothy 4 verse 11 that is translated as take. So again, just reiterating, just focusing on the fact that this is all physical terms, physical motion that's happening. Uh, he, has, he was received up into heaven. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4 and start in verse number 8. Ephesians 4 verse number 8. 
Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. All right, so that verse, that passage continues on, and he gave some apostles, prophets, talks about the gifts of the Spirit, right? And, and the gifts that are given through the Spirit. So the ascension preceded, it came before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. That was first recorded at Pentecost in Acts chapter number two. Of course, we're in Acts chapter one, focused here with the ascension happening. And the very next thing, the very next major event that happens is the outpouring, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens at Pentecost in Acts chapter number two. So just getting our heads straight on the sequence of events that happened here and what came before what. All right, first Peter chapter three, first Peter chapter three. So one of the things that's interesting about this is that it's it's specifically referenced on several places where it talks about when he ascended, where he went to, right? Because he, again, he physically ascended, he physically went up out of their sight, he was received by a cloud, and he and he disappeared into the cloud. We'll talk about the cloud here in just a moment. But where did he go? Because he he went somewhere, right? He didn't just, just go invisible and then hang around, right? And he had to, he mentioned earlier that he had to go, he had to leave in order to give the Holy Spirit. In order for that gift of the Holy Spirit's power to be poured out, he needed to physically remove himself uh, so that he could express himself again as the Holy Spirit. And this is, uh, we don't fully understand why that's necessary, because we see, if we look in the beginning of Acts 1 and, and towards the end of some of the Gospels, it mentions the fact that he was already working in the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was active or around, but had not indwelt the church, had not indwelt the believers yet. So it's kind of a transitional phase, a lot of people reference it as such, but once he was actually gone, then the Holy Spirit was fully uh, was fully manifested, was fully poured out. All right, First Peter chapter two, or sorry, excuse me, First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. First Peter three, verse eighteen. For Christ also had suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, so that we see the Spirit was at work even in resurrecting Himself. By which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God weighed in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, there's that baptism in the name of Jesus, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the verse I really wanted to get to, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now, when we talk about that right hand of God, uh, when we, on the extended version, we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of the authorities and powers, the subjection, all of that stuff. But this is where Jesus physically went after he ascended. So he ascended up, he disappeared out of their sight, he went into heaven, and he, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. This speaks to his position immediately after his ascension of spiritual authority and lordship. We saw that in Mark 16, 19. Let's go over to Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1. This is one of the verses we'll be talking about extensively about this right hand of God concept. Blessed, excuse me, it's 110, not 1. <laughs> Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And this verse is referenced at least 17 times that I could find in the New Testament. And it is speaks to a couple different things going on at once. The Lord is Jehovah sent unto my Lord. And I, I don't want to give away some of the things I'm going to be talking about in the extended version, but he says, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So it's, again, sequence of events. Jesus ascends up, sits down at the right hand of the Father. At, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So there's this idea already built into this concept of this, the already and not yet, which we've spoken of, I believe already, but I will probably mention it many more times. And it's this idea when you're looking at prophecy and you're looking at things that are outside of time and things to do with God, we can only express them in so much as our language and our 
piddly human brains can comprehend and express, right? So uh, this this concept of he is Jesus is seated at the right hand of himself because he is the Father, right? He's seated at his own right hand, and he is waiting until his enemies become his footstool, but he already has all power and authority in his hand, right? So these things are fulfilled, but also not fulfilled yet. In our timeline, and, and that's really how I, I've come to think of it and how I've come to reference it, is, is we are on the timeline. God himself, Jesus is outside of the timeline. In our timeline, this has not been fulfilled yet, right? It's just like when we refer to salvation. We are saved, but we are not actually saved yet, right? We are saved as in we are, we are committed, we are heading in that direction, but if you're listening to this right now, you have not actually died yet and been saved yet, right? So you, and, and, and seen the fulfillment, the culmination of that. So that is true, but it is not fulfilled yet. And this is one of these things, this verse here in Psalm 110, verse 1. So he's seated at the right hand of God. What else is going on? John 14, John 14 and verse number 1, John chapter 14, starting in verse number 1. Well, Jesus was still here. This is something he was talking about to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. So he mentions how when he leaves, he will go to prepare a place for you. He will go to, and he doesn't explain exactly what that means in this passage, but we know from the fact that this is referencing Jewish traditions to do with marriage and several other things that Jesus said during his time on earth, that what he's saying is, I am going to prepare a place and a reception for my bride. And that's what he means by you. Of course, it was probably a little bit confusing to the disciples. I'm debating whether I should go into a whole eschaton extended study on this prepare a place for you through the Jewish wedding and all of that concept. Um, if you'd like me to, let me know. And, uh, you know, when we get this up on Facebook and everything, throw a comment on there or on YouTube on one of the videos and let me know if we want to see a study on that concept. Uh, but that's really what he's referring to here is this idea where the 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 male, the husband, before before the he the time was right for the wife to come in, he would be preparing the house. And then, according to tradition, the father would tell him and say, Okay, now the house is ready. You have prepared enough. Now you can receive your bride. And this is the whole sequence that he's referring to when he talks about going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. Alright, so Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm really holding myself back here from just going into every single little thing. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse number 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. There's a reference back to Psalm. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So here we have in Hebrews this reference that he sat down because his priestly work, that offering of that sacrifice, sacrifice was finished once for all. So when he ascended up, he was able to sit down because that priestly work was done. A human priest would have to keep going daily and giving these sacrifices over and over, but his sacrifice counted once for all. It was enough to cover all of time and all sins, and not just cover sins, but take away sins. So he did not have to continually offer that sacrifice. But he does do something else. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and we're talking about after he ascended, what is he, what is Jesus doing right now, according to the scripture? What is Jesus actively involved in? Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 33, 
says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That would be, you know, all of his people, all the saints. It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, there we have, after the ascension, who also maketh intercession for us. That word maketh intercession is the Greek term antinkano, means to confirm with, or entunkano, means to confer with, and treat or deal with. He doesn't need to receive or make any more sacrifices, but he does make intercession. He points to the one sacrifice that was made. So every time the accuser brings forward an accusation against one of the elect in verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect, then God is able to point to Christ in that courtroom of heaven is able to point to his own sacrifice and say, look, they are under the blood. They are under that sacrifice that I made. I don't need to make, there's no more sacrifices needed for them. It's already paid for, right? They're, they're, their sins are already paid for. And that's the intercession that he makes. And that is something that he does continually do. We see that as well in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. I won't go through that for sake of time, but there in Hebrews chapter 7, you can see more on that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what else is Jesus up to? What else is Jesus doing after he ascended? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because we know he hasn't returned yet. Uh, and, and I haven't gone into that section yet, but there are some who believe, well, Jesus, we are now in the, the, the reign of the kingdom, et cetera, et cetera. This is honestly just straight foolishness. If you read the scripture and you see the description, just read, read Revelation chapter one and, and just as very simply to read the description of the return of Christ, the return and the crowning of the king of kings. This has not happened yet, okay? If you believe this has happened yet, you do not believe the scriptures. This has not happened yet, and therefore, uh, we are still waiting, and Jesus is still doing all the things we just talked about. He's making intercession. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's preparing a place for us. What else is he doing? He's waiting to return, obviously, and establish this all-encompassing kingdom. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 20 through 22 through 25. We talked about this last week a little bit about, the, or we, we went through it actually, the concept of the kingdom and the messianic kingdom or the millennial kingdom as some people refer to it as. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And there we again, we see that Christ ascended first, they that are Christ's, that would be anyone who has been saved at his coming. So when he returns, we will follow that same pattern that he went through, right? Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. There we have again this concept going back to Psalm 110 verse 1, that he is going to finish and accomplish and culminate all of these things and every enemy will be put under his feet. Verse 26 says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And then verse 27 is interesting because it says, for he hath put all things under his feet. Wait, but it says till he hath put. And then in verse 27 it says, he hath put. Well, it, again, they're already and not yet, right? These things are these things are guaranteed. They will happen. They maybe have already happened outside of time because there is no before and after outside of time. But it says there, when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest he's accepted, which did put all things under him. And uh, so, of course, that is one of the things that is going on. He's waiting, and that's one of the things he's going to do is establish his kingdom, right? And that's the, what's going to happen when he returns. Uh, just a point of reference, I won't go into it uh, very much, but it's reminiscent of, but it is different from his ascension, we're still talking about, the translation of Enoch, which is in Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, it's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, Enoch was translated, he was not, as the scripture says. Elijah was also translated, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and he, uh, but he, but neither one of them were able to do that, or were able to be to ascend up into heaven of their own power, of their own volition. Enoch was not because God just took him. And then Elijah, he had a chariot come down and he rode the chariot and he rode off into the sky. So neither one of them did this of their own power, of their own ability. So that is very important to to note is that even though those are the two closest uh, examples we have similar to the as an ascension or a resurrection or a or a rapture type scenario, 
they, they did not do it of their own power. They were not able to accomplish that on their own. The last thing I want to touch on is something I probably will go into in an extended version to talk more extensively about this cloud concept, but it says a cloud received him there in, in Acts 1 verse 9. A cloud received him. That word for cloud is nephele, which means cloudiness. It's the same term used to describe the presence of God during Christ's transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17 verse 5, and this will be our last point here. Matthew chapter 17 verse number 5. For while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. So there we have the presence of God manifesting, but he is in, out of the midst of, or inside of, this cloud, and he's surrounding himself with a cloud. That's the same term that's used here in the phrase, a cloud received him, when Christ ascends. Mark chapter 9, verse number 7. Mark chapter 9, verse 7. It says there was a cloud that overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. So there's the, the parallel. And I believe Luke 9, 34 and 35 that I've written down is also a parallel for that. So we, again, we see here with the ascension, he literally physically went up. He was taken up of his own. He was taken up, but he went up of his own power, right? And this preceded the ascent, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this ascension, this physical ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus is now in the right hand of God. He's preparing a place. He's making intercession. He's waiting to return. And he went up in the manner in which he went up was in a cloud. And we're going to talk about his return Next week, when we go into episode number three, we're going to talk about the return, which is referenced here in Acts chapter one. It's going to be the last concept we mention as far as coming out of Acts chapter one. And we'll see there because the angels, or again, we assume they're angels. It doesn't say they're angels, but the two men who are speaking about Christ here in verse number 10, while they look steadfastly, uh, let's see, verse number 11 says, Jesus, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him going into heaven, as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the same Jesus, and he's going to come back in the same manner, right? So Jesus does things his way. He does things in his timing. He does things the way he wants them. And we're going to talk more about that when we talk about the return. But that's part of the reason why it's so important to understand and to define and to put the specifics, the finer points on these concepts within the ascension is because... All of that stuff we just talked about is going to apply to the return because they say he will come back. The same Jesus who did this thing right here is going to come back and he's also going to come back in like manner as ye have seen him go. So it's going to be a, a, a reversal, a return, right? But it's going to be in the same manner as the way Jesus Christ ascended here. All right. So that's the ascension. And then we'll talk next week in, in episode number three about the return of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Amen. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you appreciate these studies we're doing. And if you have any comments or suggestions, please drop them. Uh, we'll be putting this up, of course, on our Facebook page. And eventually here, we're going to be getting it out on all the other platforms as well. We're slowly kind of accumulating and managing and getting all the different social media underway. So we'll have it put out, of course, on the Twitter and on the Facebook and on all the stuff, the YouTubes and all that. So you can find it wherever you like. I don't know if we'll end up putting it on TikTok or not, but uh, you'll be able to find it somewhere on the internet. And of course, you can always go to our church website at a church.info. And you're also going to be able to find out our link tree. Our link tree link is uh, going to be in the in the feed here in the notes for this episode. And you'll be able to click on that and be able to see all the different places you can find the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So thank you so much for joining us. And we hope to see you again on episode number three of Eschaton. This is Out of Church Radio. Thank you.